Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. That was a bit of DVC's 1989 album, Descendant Upheaval. He's called Cranium Overture, which was clearly inspired by the Imperial March music of John Williams for the Star Wars movie. I'm Jeff Wagner. I'm here with my ever insightful, always willing co-conspirator, Hunter Ginn. How are you tonight? Doing well, sir. Are you? Doing well. I noticed something weird. We started a little later than we normally do with our recording, yet it's still light out. Yes. That's going to change right. here. Pretty cool. I was about to say darkness is about to fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we hear this 1989 piece of music from this band of real young kids from uh, Tallahassee. At least they look really young in the, um, the photos on the album. Neither one of us, I think, Hunter, are big Star Wars fans. Is that fair to say? I'm a casual fan. Yeah, I guess I could say the same. Yeah, yeah. especially the first three movies, which some nerd out there already is catching me. The first three are probably what the last three, but uh, I'm talking about this. I think the timeline's pretty convoluted at this point. Star Wars Empire in Return. Uh, Just say it that way. Anyway, yeah. And, it, you know, for me, it's not that that borrows that John Williams thing and takes it into metal, but it um, it it does evoke something. Uh, and, And certainly Darth Vader is a classic villain imposing as hell and i think uh, it's such a great opening for an album yeah it's a statement of intent for sure some of that guitar work reminds me a little bit of like a- as if we're in symphonies of sickness era oh sure yeah the trills yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely 89 era carcass in there somehow we'll, we'll be hearing obviously more from dvc which stands for darth vader's church don't dare mess it up with dead brain cells dbc from canada although that could be a whole other show couldn't it there could be a universe show at some point. Yes. Yeah, we're going to put these two albums under the microscope. They have a pretty simple history, pretty straightforward history. They didn't last long. Hunter and I have enjoyed them for a long time. And um, yeah, can't wait. So um, thanks for joining us for Radical Research episode 65. And here we go.
just heard a clip from Eve Angel, again from, as Jeff said earlier, DVC's first record, The Menacing Descendant Upheaval. A lot going on in the clip we just heard. You hear the vocals of, I'm not sure if that was Parker Knapp or Glenn Lawn. Yeah, they both are credited as vocals throughout their and, short and I, career. And I don't, I don't know who's who. Yeah, I, it's hard to tell, but they do apparently share uh, vocals. There's one that's a little gruffer and maybe more yep. human, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and one that's a little lower. At times, I feel I can, I can pick it out. At, at times, I, I, I can't parse it out at all. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But, but I feel like there are some competing tendencies here, and and a really developed sound for a band um, of this age. You get this very subterranean. American death metal kind of sound. I, it, it doesn't necessarily sound like Impetigo or Early Deceased, but it's the same sort of macabre basement dwelling vibe. Mm. But then um, I am definitely reminded in some of the more advanced guitar work of another of our Florida favorites, the underrated, as always, Nasty Savage. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm not sure I've ever picked up on that, but now that you mention it, I believe I can hear that. Yeah. Okay. Especially the way that they, they move from kind of straight eight note patterns to the triplet. That, it's, that always reminds me of Nasty Savage. But yeah, just a really surprisingly and almost contradictory kind of sound going on here. Yeah, I, I hear that because they are, on one hand, primal and primitive. Certainly, I think the recording lends itself to that. And by the way, I think for raw early death material i think this recording is perfect for what they're doing um, and i think they i think they really didn't achieve that on the second one which we'll, we'll get to that but which is a just, shame because it, the second one has one of the coolest album titles of all time it does and it's got some great songs it does. You know, the, the material itself is good but we'll we'll, we'll get there yeah. um but this one sounds just perfect for what they're doing and like you say it is a clash of a couple things because they will throw in those tricky moments or those weird moments or those unexpected things and they're pretty capable at this point. There's a great snare hi-hat bit in Evangel that um, yes. is a little bit Ken Owen when Ken Owen started to find groove, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's even tastier than that. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing all of that in, in that track uh, and throughout the album. It's, it's a fun album. It's, um, sh- we should mention it's 14 songs. It's <laughs> yeah. what's, what's, the, what's the total running time? It's like 44 minutes. So clearly they lean, you know, two to three minute averages, a couple instrumentals in there as well. Yeah, let's listen to Morning Sun as in uh, Grief Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. No cups of coffee here. <laughs> let's go.
man. Okay. There's a lot to talk about there. <laughs> a lot to talk about there too. I mean, it, you know, that last part that's where the riff is shifting and kind of like a, like a monolithic way that fades out there. That's, that's a great little moment, but I think just in that little snippet, we hear moments where uh, they are playing with time a little bit, time signature and, and, um, oh, yeah. and, and meter and just smushing things together in this really like creative way that it's, it's schizoid it's frantic and it's kind of unpredictable in the way that another Florida band that we love is, <laughs> which is Hellwitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sizigil McScreancy album. Like that's... Don't my thunder, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I know. You're right um, there. Totally and, and, right. But this, but this is also the thing, you know, DVC, you say Florida death metal, they definitely don't typify what people think of as Florida death metal. I suppose a lot of that could come from the fact that they are from Tallahassee. Yeah. I mean, which is, I mean, completely disconnected from the well the epicenter which is tampa but i mean even the more active areas of south florida like fort lauderdale and, and miami yeah um yeah i mean tallahassee is the panhandle um which means that it is thoroughly the south i've never now, been almost a, a sort of intensified south I've never been to the panhandle of Florida and I'm wondering if it feels like it's almost just a different country or is it more like Louisiana or what, what is it about Tallahassee? I mean, it it is like, it's like a distillation of all the most intense redneckery of South Georgia and South Alabama. Mm. Um, It's almost like there were, it's almost like a penal colony of South Georgia and South Alabama. And we, we exiled those rednecks to the panhandle. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not being very charitable and well, there are some lovely areas of the panhandle, but I'm telling you that even as someone from South Georgia, I have experienced some almost frightening moments in that part of the country. Okay. So, so it's probably fair to make a guess that some of the capital stormers were from that area. Yeah, but but okay. I mean, you know, we're, that's yeah. But clearly, Glenn and Parker and the rest of the guys in DVC had nothing to do with that. Um. <laughs> and my apologies to any radical research listeners from the Florida Panhandle. Of course, no, of course. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I wonder what these kids in DVC were listening to because at this time, I mean, certainly yes, there was a thing, such a thing as death metal. Uh, you know, with, you know, the death tapes that went around in the mid eighties. I imagine early, they got their hands on the ravage demo, the ravage demo, early morbid angel. Of course. Um, I think kind of further out, uh, I hear some terrorizer and bolt thrower in DVC mm. music. Definitely hear the bolt thrower. And I think just uh, there's, there's an element, I'm not going to call it hardcore or grind, even grindcore, but it's the shorter songs, that grimy, grimy attack that has just no interest in anything but sounding feral and morbid um it's somehow starts crossing a line and and i think there's early carl willett's vocals here that bring to mind bolt thrower um, but i mean that's one of the interesting things about that inchoate period and in, in death metal and ex, just extreme metal altogether is that you know the lines were much more permeable yeah. um you know and all these bands were listening to each other they were all playing shows they were you know trading tapes from all around the world and you know, it wasn't as as dogmatic as it became later when all these these allegiances you know it was just kind of like into you know really extreme you know dark creative music for sure 
And this is one of the more memorable blind purchases that I ever made in my life. I mean, I was sitting in a record shop called the record collector. And uh, I remember I bought the first paradise lost album there in 1990 um, had been hearing about them, but hadn't heard their music, picked that up. And this was on the wall and I had I, never heard of it. I hadn't read a thing about it in the, in the zines. And um, it just spoke to me right away. For one, we're looking at this kind of silver, somewhat voivodish logo. And then the, that deep, dark purple, velvety purple uh, of the scene that's going on, which is, you know, morbid and underworld and looks like it could be Brazilian, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's just got that look. And it just spoke to me. I, and I thought, my God, that looks so evil and morbid. Uh, I wonder what this is about. I saw the name Darth Vader's church written into the DV and C. It was all hitting the right buttons. Then I turn it over and I see that it's got 14 songs written in this Gothic script. That was interesting to me. And I, I think more than almost anything is that picture of the band, that black and white picture. It looked like an old sub pop picture, but, but kind of <laughs> yeah, evil. One of those Charles Peterson type photos. And, yep. you know, it's a little grainy, a little blurry. Uh, you know, it's capturing some kind of wild arcane action. And I just, I, I just picked it up. I thought, okay, fuck. And then I look at the label. I'm like, okay, not Peaceville, not Combat, not Erake, not any of that, but Manufacture Sound Output Company. <laughs> Which, One of my favorite labels. Oh, man, what a stable. <laughs> 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 Which, no, it gave absolutely no clue whatsoever to what this was. I, I, I kind of picked it up thinking, well, it's, it's got to be metal. But then I thought, you know, in the times that it was in, like, it came out in 89, but this was 90 when I bought it. I thought it could kind of be anything. You know, it might be more St. Vitusy or something. I just didn't really yeah. know. In our notes, we're not going to talk about them because I don't know any of these bands, but we're going to we're going to list the other bands that manufacture sound output company released. And I can guarantee you nobody's ever heard of any of these. But yeah, so I picked it up and, you know, slapped it on. And man, it just it completely connected right away. Cranium yep. Overture. I was I was in love. We're going to hear one of my favorite moments too. One that I remember being struck by right away. That first listen, one that I love now, this is a, a little bit from a track called embalmed in stone. just love the urgency of that yeah just it, it it's a young young person's game but it's just this this mania uh, this need to cram as many i uh, i guess it's just an overflow of ideas and and the need to cram them all into one song 
but there's a tremendous amount of nuance there too. If you step back, I mean, you get the overlaid acoustic guitars, right. there's some odd metered moments, yep. tempo changes, yep. but just all bound together by this possessed death obsession. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, and these guys were in it. These guys were right in the middle of all of that. And, um, you know, it was hot and sweaty rehearsal room, judging from the pictures on the inside. Uh, uh, yeah, in, insert fueled by big bong hits, which is uh, not only a song title on the album, but gives a clue to what was fueling them extracurricular curricularly. I can't even say that extracurricularly. That's a, that's a cur- tough one there. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to skip that. Um, and, and then, yeah, just that kind of ambition that you have when you're a kid and you're just starting to get a handle on your instruments and yep. you've linked up with three other guys that are doing the same. Uh, and I think that's what we hear all over this thing. I will say, I, I think that the album's a little top heavy. I mean, it's maybe not perfect. It's, it's on the metal archive scale. It's a 95 percenter for me, but that's pretty great. Uh, I just feel like it, it does wear out. It's welcome just a little bit near the end, but you know, look, it could have been 38 minutes over 44, but I'm not bitching this, this thing. No. Always, this thing is always a, a really fun listen. Always. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how I got into them was a little record shop in Stewart, Virginia called Jeff Wagner's house. Oh <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I had forgotten. I, okay. <laughs> it was like probably one of my, I don't know, man, it, it was either the first or second time I ever visited you there. Okay. And I was just going through the racks and I, I just never heard of it and I pulled it out. And, it, and like you, I looked at that cover and immediately felt drawn to it. Oh, what's this? And yeah. What is this? And <laughs> you, I don't even think you explained, you just took it from me and yeah. threw it on. Yeah. Like, well, it's one know. of those albums like the, like Holy Terror or what's, what's the other one that I'm always, there, there are a couple bands or albums that like from, you know, metals. Oh, Swarming of the Maggots. No, <laughs> but what, just that, that every time I put it on for somebody, like it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sell, like people yeah. go out and they get it, you know, and, and this, this is always one of them. I don't think I've ever played it for anybody where they weren't like, yeah, I need this. Yeah. And I think, you know, your audience too. Actually, I think Zoller, I think Craig Zoller uh, was not impressed, but um, that's a, that's a whole <laughs> other ball of wax. Yeah. That's a, that's a show. That, that is a show. <laughs> Great things that have not impressed Craig Zoller. <laughs> and odd things that have, but we'll, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have him on the show someday as our first guest. Yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, I played it for you. You got into it. It's it's so funny that, that, I mean, I didn't remember that when you, when you said a record shop in Stuart, Virginia, I was thinking like, was there a record shop in Stuart? Virginia? <laughs> no. Like, I don't think there ever was. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we'd love to sample everything every single thing from this album we're going to go out of descendant upheaval with uh bow of mortis or is it bow of one of my favorites i think it's bow of mortis bow of mortis of course
man, the beginning of that clip is a band beyond their years. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And kind of sad that they didn't get to mature past two albums. Yeah, um, it is. Just because of the promise that I think we hear on the first album. I mean, promise nothing. It's just a great album. It, it, you know, it's not like, oh, that's a good start. No, it's, it's a great album. I would even call it, in my world, it's a classic. And thus, I had really high hopes for the second album. And I, I have come around the second album over the years. I like it fine. It's nothing I would ever get rid of. I lust after a vinyl copy. I still don't have one on vinyl. So Me either. If anybody out there has a spare or, or two, send to 818. No. Because um, James King Golden's not into death metal. Yes, he would have three, one sealed. But <laughs> Manufacturer Sound Output did put out their second album, Molecular Shadow. Great album title. And in Europe, Steamhammer picked it up. So that was kind of good for them. And they actually had a tour over there with uh, Morgoth and, and a few other luminaries. Uh, but that was really about all anybody really saw of DVC on tour. Good album. Like I said earlier, I think there are aspects of the sound that not ruin it, but it doesn't bring out that morbidity that we're hearing yes. all over Descendant Upheaval. Yeah, it's like they left the basement and, and the, the basement really benefited them. Yeah, they cleaned up and we're going to hear, I, I think, kind of just a slightly newer guitar tone. I think the vocals are fine, but there's a curious thing about this album as well, where there's only five songs with vocals out of the 10 right. songs. This is, you know, longer songs Very this weird. time. We get a lot of instrumentals. I'd say almost half of the running time is instrumental. Maybe and, third, and it, this third. may come as a shock coming from me, but I think that's part of the problem with this album. Oh yeah. Cause I, there are, there are a couple moments instrumentally that are really good for those songs. And then there's a couple that aren't all that recommendable. Like they're not, right. they're not that interesting. So, yeah, I agree with you. And uh, it does sound weird coming from you who loves uh, and tends to favor instrumental metal at times. I just don't think they're as interesting as an instrumental band. Yeah. I I just think that they are better served with the vocal and instrumental combination. The, The vocals are such a part of the charm for the first record for me. Yeah. I, I, I feel their absence on this. Sure. Yet at times, I've, I've had some really good listens to this one. It's got another really good cover. Um, slightly, I don't know, not cartoony, but a little more comic bookish uh, cover than the, the just the more colorful, more colorful, more, more so than the flat out evil looking first cover. Really like the logo on the back. Uh, like a lot of things about it. Again, sort of looks Brazilian. Sort of does look Brazilian, doesn't it? Probably better lyrics this time around. Nothing wrong with the first album lyrics, but yeah they're just they just go a little more cosmic uh that's always nice some nods to their beloved weed the first song the intro is cannabistic torculation um (laughs) we're going to listen to uh a couple songs that follow that one immediately on the album ash and tallow and uh ash is does have some vocals on the full song tallow is an instrumental uh they're basically like one song on the album let's check it out ash and tallow
Yeah. The second part of that tallow is an interesting bit of instrumental stuff from them. Uh, obviously with the acoustic guitar as the centerpiece of that, uh, I like that they're still using acoustic as we heard uh, a little bit on the first album. And I think in the, the part we heard from Ash, there's a harmonica there. There, there is a harmonica. But you, you say that as if you don't like that. And, and, and you I'm and I... are not crazy about that. You and I aren't crazy about harmonica, but I, I like it there because it's so out of context and so unexpected and just... Pretty zany. Well, yeah. I, and that's what I like about it. There's nothing worse than a harmonica when a band is like, oh, this is kind of our bluesier song. And then they get into some like stock bluesy harmonica solo. Like a, like like a that, black that's, foot thing. Well, sure. I, I just see, see now the Tallahassee's coming out in these boys. <laughs> that that's true. Yeah, a little bit of Atlanta rhythm section influence, perhaps. Uh, I have no idea if they ever used a harmonica. You can ask one of your friends down there. Yeah, we have mentioned <laughs> that band entirely too much on this show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Have we ever mentioned Claxton? Probably. Okay. Well, we, I'm, gonna... I'm sure if if Nate came up, Claxton has come up at some point. <laughs> I think they had a guy uh, guest harmonica on Ash there from Claxton. I think that's where he's from. Uh, came out of that trailer that I'm we had sure. that one time. That, yeah, that that. <laughs> which is a which is a backstory that no listener will know, or we, we're not going to share because it's just too too shady. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along, I love this. I love this song title. I would say that the Molecular Shadow album beats the first one for song titles. There's a lot of great song titles in the first. Oh one. man, we're, well, I, we're gonna play. We're gonna play a clip from one. Yeah. Uh, in a in a bit, I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. That's yeah. just an un. That's just one of those like <laughs> kick me for not thinking of it song titles. <laughs> we'll get to that, but we're gonna get to yeah. it after this one. And I love this song title as well. Sick with experience. Uh, yeah, I do it, too. It sounds like a, a a maybe a disharmonic Pleasure Domera song title or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a good combination of words, an interesting uh, image that it brings to mind. But sick with experience, this is it from Molecular Shadow. Let's 
You know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Disharmonic Orchestra because <laughs> that, that song does have a lot of, you know, the, the quirks and the twists and turns that I, I think both of us associate with that band. Yeah. And, and, and the vocals even remind me a little bit of Pleasure Dome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He's got a bit of a Patrick Klopp sort of delivery there. And uh, I didn't say that thinking that, but there is certainly a parallel. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to yeah, mention that's a, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that one a lot. I do like those pauses in there. There's weird kind of jerky stops. And uh, I, I like his vocals all over that. And they're a little different than uh, on descendants. So obviously we hear some growth and some, some different ideas coming into it. Again, another reason I'm, I'm always been upset that they, they didn't at least give us one more album. Mm-hmm. Um, I could probably say that about any, two album band that that we love i mean holy terror is the the big one you just hope that they would have given us a 1993 album perhaps always always wish that i know you like that we should mention that they re-recorded bow of mortis on this and i'm not really sure why i mean it was pretty much perfect on the first album maybe because of the lack of vocals maybe there i I just wonder if there was like a dearth of ideas here well, and two, I, th- I mean, I really think that they, their, their approach to the acoustic guitar is relatively advanced compared to the first album. Maybe they wanted to revisit that element of it. That's a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. Okay. Good one. This brings us to um, the great song title that uh, you were hinting about, Inagata de Bhagavad Gita. That's not the one. Oh, that's not the one. Okay. No, well, okay. I, I, I adore this one too. I like the other one too. Okay. I'll let you, yeah. I'll let you introduce that one. But yeah, this, this crazy little thing called Inagata de Bhagavad Gita, obviously a take on Iron Butterflies, Inagata de Vida. And this is an instrumental. We're going to check it out. And uh, <laughs> with, with that, awesome I'm pretty sure that marijuana was involved in this. I'm pretty sure. In the song title. At least. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Let's say it again. Inagata de Bhagavad Gita.
Yeah, that's just uh, weird enough for us, I think. <laughs> just, just barely. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. A um, lot of sound going on in that one. <laughs> yeah, and more acoustic guitar. You know, they really yep. they really did lean heavily on that, and it's it's quite interesting because you don't really associate that with death metal very often. No, um, and I, I I feel like it's it's recorded with a great deal of care on this record too. Um, I mean, in spite of you know our qualms about the production, otherwise I feel like the acoustics are are done really well. Totally. And oddly, this record is recorded in a different studio in Tallahassee. <laughs> well, I like, mean, they, you know, you have your pick there, you know. Yeah, I mean, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, kind of like the Hackett show previous to this, we're cruising right through because that's just the way it seemed to, to have to be done. Yeah. We should really thank DVC Parker Knapp and Glenn Lawhon on guitar and growls. And uh, we've mentioned them. There's Elaine Rogers on bass guitar and Todd Thompson on drums. These four were the, as far as I know, the only members in DVC for these albums. Yeah. They're the only two on. Yeah. On, on it's the same lineup on both records. Yeah. I, uh, I had some communication with Glenn Lawhon years ago and uh, I did hit him up recently told him we were doing this show and wanted to know if he wanted to do an interview. He said he would be up for doing a phone one. Uh, and I thought maybe we'd put that on the blog. So uh, he doesn't really like to type a lot. So uh, in lieu of typing, I told him I'd just give him a call, which he thought was fine. So hopefully that'll happen. And then maybe uh, at a later date, we'll get the uh, interview on the blog. Cause I, there's, there's some questions awesome. for sure. Yeah. But I wanted to mention him as well because he was in a band called, I believe it was Spirex S P I R E X. I also think that we need to mention, uh, if we're going to talk about the harmonica, give credit where credit's due to, it's a great name, Mace Flieger. <laughs> Mace? Edgar Allan Poo um, uh, also guested uh, on on vocals on, uh, on one of the songs. Yeah, uh, and Evil Knievel Orchestra as well. So um, who, who knows what, what all this nonsense is? Uh, we we got to mention, you know, if we're talking about great song titles and funny names, uh, there's a, another instrumental on this album called Pig Latin Auctioneer. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like a thought industry song title or something <laughs> totally yeah yeah you know and uh the first album had Southside Dirthead. <laughs> yep <laughs> big bong hits so yeah they weren't above moving away from the the morbid thing you know just just for a little bit of levity i you know again another thing i love about this band they, they certainly were their own no doubt about it but i was going to say about glenn lawhan and spyrex he sent me this thing i think it was two songs i couldn't find him and i kind of hit him up recently to see if uh, he might be able to send me those again it was really strange weird dark stuff as you might imagine but pretty far outside of of the metal that dvc was doing it and it was just only tangentially metal i want to track down more spyrex because I, I was very intrigued by those uh, i remember um listening to those you know quite a bit when he sent them to me and really enjoying them, but I guess ne- nothing really ever came of that band, at least nothing that, that I know of. I would uh, be very interested in hearing that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and he currently is really into Moogs. If you uh, track him down on Facebook, he uh, he's he's really into synths, which is, of course, fantastic, and, and maybe not that surprising, considering the kind of more progressive corners that they would get into every now and then. Sure. And this brings us to our... our uh, last song from molecular shadow i think you want to talk about this one a little bit well i don't necessarily want to i want to talk about it when we get out of it but just i love the song title dissolve in galaxia (laughs) yeah that's pretty great yeah dissolve in very uh very evocative title 
I could see Canvas Solaris having that title. I could see. That's kind of um, why I'm mad about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> so could, could I. I could see Nocturnus in the Thresholds era, era yep. having it. I could see Atheist in, in the Unquestionable or Elements era having it. Yeah, Dissolving Galaxia, 92, but might as well be 93 in our world. Might it, let's just go ahead and say, yeah. Here's a good bit from it. This is the album Ender from Molecular Shadow. Darth Vader's Church's Dissolving Galaxia, the final song in Molecular Shadow, and that's the last we heard of DVC. Hunter, I want to play a little game there. That's obviously really pretty great, a lot more orchestral than other, other stuff, and perhaps might have pointed the way to future compositions had they continued. As it is, what we just heard reminds me of two things from Sweden. Um, mm. Anything come to mind for you 
it would be early 90s. It would be contemporary of 92, basically. Both things I know you like. Any thoughts? Any guesses? Um, What's in my mind? If you could read Give me a minute mind. now. Um, not Comic-Con. No. Keep that, keep that orchestral stuff in mind, because that's all over Dissolving Galaxia. And that's what makes it that really special, you know, kind of more progressive. Song. Maybe, um, maybe like Symphony Masses. That's yeah. I had Beyond Sanctorum on my mind, but Symphony okay, Masses, right. Symphony Masses works just as well. Okay. Um, yes, I had that era of Therion on my mind. I also had Crypt of Kerberos on my mind. Ah, just that. Kind yeah, of, yeah. I guess like World of Myths. Exactly. Um, yeah. Definitely a bit of that. Yeah. So cool. You know, that's this is the most European sounding. I think this band gets uh, for sure is, is on that song, the longest on the album, I believe. And um, gosh, what, what what can we say, man? Great band. Uh, we're going to leave you with uh, a, a tidbit from uh, the first album, Devious Circus. We will be back to let you know about episode 66. Thanks again for listening. Episode 66 of Radical Research. How shall we even frame this, Hunter? Uh, you want to take a stab at it? There will definitely be some stabbing. Oh, there will be stabbing. There will be a lot of sword play. So <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot of dick jokes, too. You know, I, I want to dispense of that because that's the thing with this, sh- with this episode yeah. is Man of War <laughs> are often taken as a joke. And no, this isn't a full Man of War episode in that we're only looking at their discography or a part of it um, but we we do enjoy the early especially the early part of their discography the first four albums are peerless classics um yep. i we'll, we'll we'll get into how far i go with them but i go a little further with you uh not as but uh, instead what we're gonna do is take a look at the the impact the very appreciable quantifiable impact that that band has had on other bands who might be a little more appropriate radical research fodder. And we're going to, you know, look at the evidence in Man of War's own material as well. So it's going to be, uh, I don't know if we've ever done a show like this, and I think it'll all become a lot clearer uh, and a lot more cogent and clarified once, uh, once you hear what we do. Uh, but that's episode 66, and uh, we can't wait to have you join us then. Thank you for listening. Good evening. Have a great night, and uh, I, I, I'm assuming darkness has befallen Savannah the way it has Greensboro tonight. Indeed it has. Thank you, Darth Vader's church.
Oh, hold me, dude. Can't open yep. the file. Yep. Yep. God, gotta get out and go back in again. That's what, what she said. said. Yep. <laughs> Obviously. Right. It's just it goes without saying that one. It does. <laughs>